Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of a sweetener for you. If you're listening to this on Sunday, the 30th of April, or indeed uh, Monday morning on the 1st of May, if you click the link at the bottom, it'll bring you to our regular Sunday show that we do for our members, our Patreon supporters, uh, and it's with Roman and Owen from The Ditch, and we and we discuss the week that they've had, how investigative journalism has been treated, how independent media has been treated, how Roman and Owen feel about them becoming the story rather than Niall Collins on the controversy surrounding uh, his property dealings. And we also wrap with all of the stories of the week that we felt didn't get enough attention. And all of that right now is free for 24 hours, even if you're not a member. So all you got to do is click the link and have a listen. And while you're listening to it, why not join us? It's the price of a fancy cup of coffee or tea and maybe a scone to you. But to us, it literally pays our bills. This is, the, this is how we make our income. This is how we keep the tortoise shack viable. We need your support to do that. So if you're getting something out of it, please give something back. It's not a lot to ask, and as I said, you get access to tons of additional content, all of our podcasts, one consolidated feed, you never miss an episode, including those exclusives, and they're entirely plea-free. Anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Thanks for listening, thanks for the support, thanks for sharing and liking. Do click the link, have a look, I'd love you to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves, and we are back, as promised, having the conversation with uh, I'm going to say friend of the pod, but it's been a while, and that's probably on our on our backs, Martin. We we're, we're just not good at reaching out anymore. You're back, yours. <laughs> I keep saying we have to have Janet on every week. I say it, Janet, we have to have Janet back on, and he ignores me. It is true. It is true. I ignore you generally. We decided to be rejoined on the podcast for the first time, and it, I'd say since since the last time we spoke was definitely during COVID. So unfortunately, has been a while, uh, and obviously COVID hasn't gone away. But I mean, during lockdown, by uh, Jana Lyons, the primary school teacher and trade union activist. Jana, how are you keeping? I am good. Yeah, it's been a very long time. It's mad to think that the last time we spoke was during lockdown proper, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and it was um, obviously. You know, there was a lot going on there in the education system and a lot of people, you know, anti-teacher rhetoric was at an all-time high as well. It hasn't really gone away too much, but it's still, it's still... Uh, oh, it paused just enough to give you a round of applause and now you're back on the treadmill again. Yeah, it's quite, it's quietened down, quietened down for sure. I was just thinking it's been so long, your hair's gotten longer and Martin's hair's gotten shorter. <laughs> I don't think it was much shorter I could have gone Janet oh, to be that was a bacterial growth in the back of his neck um, listen Janet the, the real issue we wanted to talk about today is obviously what is the lay of the land in terms because you've spoken about you know pay equality for the longest time in, in the teaching profession and you've spoken about you know equal work for equal pay you've talked about bridging the gap and we've seen reporting and since since last week during your your DINTO conference about you know some of the um the I, I I'm going to use the word shenanigans and I wouldn't I wouldn't dare suggest that you use it but the, still how how it's been been carried out do you want to give us a, a kind of catch us up to date if we for everybody who hasn't been paying attention where do we stand now yeah so um the general, the previous general secretary of the INTO um, and the deputy general secretary had taken a voluntary pay cut. I think it was in around 2011, 2012 in solidarity with the cuts that were coming in across the public sector. Um, and basically there was a private vote at the INTO Congress this year. It was um, 
a financial report and it was proposing, um, the CEC were proposing, sorry, the Central Executive Committee were proposing that um, as these were voluntary cuts and now uh, FEMPI has been, um, rest- you know, re- redacted in full or restored in full. And now, now also because down the line, we're going to have pay equality for my cohort of teachers. We don't have it yet. I think it's until 2025 or 2026 we'll have that. Anyway, basically they, they were proposing that um, the two heads of the union get that pay restored because they're meant to be, it's linked with the civil service rates. Um, so I can't remember the exact titles that they're linked with, but basically the the general secretary is linked with, I think it's the assistant secretary in, um, in civil service. And that would have brought the, well, it did bring the, the wage up from one, so it was 173 up until the 1st of March of this year, at which point it was bumped to 176 because that was in line with the building momentum review pro- process. And then the vote that the, the uh, delegates took was to bring it back up in line with the civil service. So it's like 199 something now. So yeah. um, I'd like, I'm not going to, you know, yourselves, I'm not going to say anything that was said in private session. That's private union business. But like it was reported on in the media that that's what happened. And um because it's in line with the public sector it should be it should be public knowledge you know if if the union is able to stand over it I don't see why that being reported in the media would be such an issue yeah I think the the, the issue here is it is in line with the, with the public sector but the public sector is out of line with everybody else and I think that's oh. the real problem and and also like I did so much research about this the weekend before the conference because I, I felt very strongly that it wasn't appropriate um, I, I, I'm happy to say that I spoke against the motion in the debate. Um, I didn't think it was appropriate. I didn't, didn't think it was in line with what a trade union leader should be receiving, regardless of um, what union it is or how effective or ineffective they are, or regardless of personalities or prior experience or anything. Like my view of it is that a trade union leader's wage should be in line or like connected to the wage of the people that they're representing. Um, so. I mean the 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 nearest comparative, and I brought this up at the the debate in the debate was um, there's a trade union leader of a, a I think it's teachers and sec- or secondary teachers in Scotland, and they're earning the equivalent of one one hundred thirty three thousand euro, um, but that's even still too much, you know. Like I I heard one of my colleagues say, should it not be equivalent to the highest paid principal in Ireland? So someone has their who has their twenty five years of experience. And they're 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 responsible for a thousand students. Therefore, they're responsible for like a you know a high multiple of staff. Um, should it not be linked that way? But anyway, only just saying about the public service, like only one percent of public servants are on over one hundred fifty thousand euros. It's such a small minority. Like you know, the vast majority of public servants are people who are on like a median wage. Um, so yeah, it's it's very it's, I, it's I, very I, jarring. Can I can I just I want to play devil's advocate because I. Yes, I agree. The salaries, once they hit a certain point, this is just obscene. I mean, I was talking, I saw it today where they said, uh, Michal Martin made a comment saying, you know, a Dublin allowance would be uh, very challenging for, for if we were to pay teachers and nurses. And I, I pointed out that we we lose, for, it costs the state over 40 million a year to give people who earn somewhere between 75 thousand and a million so they're they're usually tend to be the high end we tax them under this special assignee relief program that they don't pay full tax they pay somewhere between 20 and 28 percent tax and effectively that's what the, so this is this idea that these people if you're if you're a multinational or a big corporation you can say 
you know, Tony and Martin get the get the special assignee relief tax and, and they, they make out like bandits. I wonder how many people we could give a Dublin allowance for for 40 million. You know, like 40 million. That's a lot of bloody teachers, salaries, teachers and nurses. But when it comes to it, I also don't like the divide, Martin, and you know this, that sometimes we play p- private against public uh, quite often. And... and uh, yeah, because at the bottom level, Jana, back where we, when you know, when you came into the into the into the workplace, there was that very much that huge gap discrepancy between entry level and people at the top. We we know it, and uh, so so how do you, how do we you kind of square that circle? I don't know. I voted against it. <laughs> you need to ask the winner. No, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I sorry, Martin, go on ahead. I don't think th- I don't think it needs to be squared, Tony. I don't think that you need to compare public to private. I actually think public drives private rather than the other way around, particularly in this country. That it is the wages in the in the in the public sector that are driving the wages in the private sector. If you want, I mean, cause and effect. So, really. Is there an argument to say that that secretary generals should be paid the same as the Taoiseach? No, there isn't. There really isn't. There isn't an argument there that's valid enough. If you're representing people on median wage, you need to know what it's like to live on median wage. And yeah, that's not, an argument that was brought up. If um, you're not, you can't possibly walk the shoes. You can't. Yeah, I'd agree. But actually, just on the Dublin allowance, even that, like, you know, it's, I, I was kind of frustrated in the days after the conference because, you know, you get so much media attention for like five five or six days on teachers and then it goes quiet for the rest of the year. You know, this is obviously like the week where it's talked about. And uh, there was multiple like mainstream newspapers reporting Dublin allowance. And I was just annoyed by that because the, the motion, it was written by a colleague of mine, like it, was, it specifically said city allowance. You know, so there was people saying, oh, what about Galway? What about Cork? The whole point was that it was written to be as inclusive as possible. And then even like, you know, while acknowledging that at, at what point do you um, draw that line? You know, saying that you've, you could have people in like Newbridge, Sowbridge, Leakslip, Maynooth who aren't technically living in a city, but they're still being affected by high rents. I heard Rory talking about that with the teacher who had emigrated to Australia. But like, it, it you know it could it could be either easily linked to the the role number of the school that you're teaching in because that's how the education payroll does it or if you're subbing uh linked to your home address so like there's there's ways for it to be done or as you know Rory was saying like um, all, all I, I I'm gonna just to be cheap and I can't help it all of that sounds good but we couldn't include Cork Oh, oh, go on, Martin. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm fundamentally against it. I'm fundamentally against a city cost of living. I am fundamentally against it. All it does is feed into more expensive cities. I I got a. Uh, I lived in London. I got the allowance for living in London. They would call the London allowance. That's where you're getting the Dublin allowance from, by the way. They're just. It's a copy and paste. It hasn't made London a cheaper city for anybody to live in. Teachers are still priced out of London. So this is not a solution. This is merely those who are doing okay are going to continue doing okay. It's it's the same nonsense. Um, I'm not surprised. You know, my mother is a, a lifetime member of the INTO, John, and she will tell you it's a very, very conservative union. It's extremely conservative. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, as a workforce, when you think that, like, people who go into teaching work typically the good boys and girls in school who followed the rules and were affirmed by the system. You know, they saw themselves reflected in the system and then it was like a safe 
happy place for them to be. They're going to want to go back into classrooms. It's not going to be the kids who didn't feel themselves seen in the classroom. Like, you know, it's like statistically, it's it's not going to be the traveler kids who are rushing to go into Pats or Frebel or, or wherever. So there's a lot of work to be done there as well. And I totally agree. But you mentioned the, the conservatism and yet there was there was a successful, I would say, um, move by the unions to condemn insensitive comments about teaching gender identity in schools. Can I, would you mind commenting on that for me? Yeah, no problem. I, I, I'm happy to, I mean, again, I'm not going to go into the details of, of the debate for the respect of the people who um, contributed, but um, I helped to co-write a motion, an emergency, so it was an, I'll get to the reasons why for in a sec, but it was an emergency motion um, condemning the comments by the CPSMA, which is the Catholic Patron Management Association group, basically. Um, so they they had written to Roderick O'Gorman in March, um, a three page long letter, it's available online, um, and they referred to being trans as a growing, uh, growing psychological contagion. And it was just so deeply hurtful and offensive to like, I'm not even thinking necessarily of trans kids here, but, you know, like we've got teachers in our union who are trans and non-binary. Some of them are out in their schools because they teach in a, a patronage system where they are respected and they they um, aren't discriminated against. We've got other teachers who um, are trans or non-binary and they're not out at work, even though they're out in their personal lives because they work under a patient body, you know, uh, and and like that's that's the 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 crux of the issue. But I, you know, when I, I posted on Twitter that I was so proud to have co-written that motion and proposed that motion at the con- conference, basically it was just condemning that letter from the CPSMA and instructing our executive to write to them, uh, letting them know that we condemn it, and then also making our members aware that that communication has taken place. And I, there was the usual under my um, thread on Twitter. And one of the comments was, why aren't you condemning the Muslim Association? Because they made very similar comments in a in a letter. Um, and like, that's that's true. But I'm actually not even sure. Are they the patron body of the two Muslim schools that we have in Ireland? Meanwhile, out of 3,200 primary schools, 93% of those are Catholic. So you can do the maths yourself there about how, how many schools are um, like under the management of the CPSMA. And just how harmful that is. And like, obviously, there's going to be some Catholic schools which are still very traditional and, you know, by the the book of the Bible and uh, who take what the CPSMA say with great gravitas. And then there's going to be other Catholic schools who are much more welcoming, much more common sense, um, understanding that like times have changed, the community, you know, communities have changed and, and all that. But, yeah, no, it was just it was deeply hurtful. Um, and the members of our LGBT group didn't feel comfortable speaking to the press because of previous experiences that they, they've they had um, with trolls online um, and obviously then didn't feel comfortable speaking to the motion either. So it was just really important to show our solidarity to them that, you know, you don't have to be trans to understand that that's a very hurtful thing to have said about you. You know, you don't have to understand what it is to be trans to show your solidarity to them. And actually, because they're such a small minority in society, let alone even probably more so in teaching, that's exactly who you should be showing your solidarity to. You know, it costs it costs me nothing. It costs me a few trolls effing and blinding under my tw- my tweet and telling me that they're that I'm not fit to teach and telling me I'm a groomer and a pedo. Like off you go. So like, th- you know, that's what's that to me? Like, you know, that's that's only one or two days of anonymous grief under a tweet. Whereas you have trans, non-binary, queer people 
getting that every day on under their accounts on social media like I, I just can't imagine how draining and upsetting that is to have that constantly so yeah that's that's kind of all there is to say on it basically and and I have to say the executive of the union showed really great leadership on this you know they they were also um in favor of it as well and it, it got like Emma Kelly's report that she did for T is is accurate there was nearly unanimous support for the motion in the room and um lots of hugs and crying afterwards Janet, does the discussion on social media reflect the level of discussion um, among teachers or among parents and teachers, or is it just um, an issue that rarely comes up, is rarely discussed? I've never had a parent approach me about it, um, even though, now, that being said, I'm not in a Catholic school. So, you know, there is kind of that side of things. When parents come to our school, they are, they, it's very explicit to them that we welcome everybody in our school and we don't tolerate, um, you know, racism or intolerance. Um, so, no, I haven't heard it come up myself. I think people have, I've, like I've heard colleagues having very genuine questions and queries and maybe confusions and needing to talk things out themselves but I, I've i personally never heard like you know in casual conversation like out and out transphobia or anything like that no, um, I, My point is that I think that that the the level of conversation and discussion of trans people's rights and trans people's right to exist that we see on social media isn't reflected in society nor in schools nor in people in general I'd agree yeah yeah, I'd agree. Like, you know, I've I've a friend who um I've been friends with since secondary school. He came out uh, when he was about twenty two. Now he's living his best life. Like, you know, he he was in a queer relationship already. They're married, they own a house, they have a dog, they're very boring. Like, you know, it's that's that's what he always like just hoped for himself and it he never thought that it was gonna be a reality. And then, you know, other delegates gave similar stories of people that they had in their lives. So I I I think most people are just very happy to let everyone else get on with it like live and let, live and let live um, and I, I kids are very understanding of it as well you know you don't have to get into the, the nuts and bolts of it sorry to use that that's probably a bad phrase to be using but you don't have to get into the the ins and outs and the the in, intricacies of it like kids get it you don't and, and if they ask it's like if they ask any questions that don't feel appropriate for the classroom you tell them chat to your mom and dad about this or you know chat to someone at home about this like you know, I was doing relationships and sexuality education there with my class last month. And you explicitly say to them at the start, like, I will answer any of your questions that I can in an honest way. I can only teach you what's on the curriculum. And I will tell you if I can't answer your question because it's not on the curriculum. And they get it. But I don't want to, I really don't want to get get too dragged into it because I hate giving too much sucker to the people who want this big, they want this to make this the number one issue rather than, you know, um, educational attainment and, and um, proper resources and, you know, are we getting enough SNAs? Are we getting enough uh, support for teachers? Are teachers being well enough uh, paid and resourced? But on on the, on the flip side of this then, like, it does seem that there is a I know you said the reporting was good around this, but the reporting in the lead up to this has been very much on the on the flip side of you know, oh should we be concerned what 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 um, children are learning about? Or you know, like we've seen people go, let's go to libraries and take out books in case they uh, in case they upset children. Is there much discussion about that, or is that just or or or, or is is it are we making a mountain out of a molehill? I think in the I think 
it's obviously a very real thing for the librarians who are working frontline having oh, to deal with those people. Absolutely. Oh my God. Um, but like day to day, I on, I have to say, honestly, like both with, I, I have fifth class, so they're, you know, 11, like speaking to them every day and then interactions that I've had with adults around school, it just doesn't come up. Like, I know that's a very boring answer, but it just doesn't come up. But I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the answer. But do the other things come up? The lack of resources, the, the, the pay, the, the need for more SNAs, the need for more classroom resources. Are those challenges in any way lessened over the last, you know, as, because you got to bear in mind, we're, we're in a country that has the fastest growing economy yet again, Jana, it's flying. We, you know, we're, 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 we're breaking all the records and we, we've more money than we know. So, so how are things like that in, in, on the ground in reality? Uh, things feel pretty much the same as they did before like in a weird way one blessing of working in a school during the pandemic was and like the the pandemic proper in air quotes was that um the department of education paid for a substitute teacher on any approved absence day um that was if you were able to find a sub because that's like an ongoing issue and it's really funny i have people coming up to me now saying like oh i hear there's a big problem finding subs in schools and it's like yeah since 2016 where have you been like it's been it, it like it went from when I graduated like 2012 I, I ended up graduating the following year but um, it, 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 we called it fastest finger first back then because if you were a casual sub it meant that you got a generic SMS to your phone those were the days and it would say X school needs a sub for one day and yet if you didn't click call literally even before that message came in it was gone so and then the prince yeah yeah and the principal would have to turn off their phone because otherwise they'd be plagued with a hundred phone calls for people clamoring for one day of work, right? And now you've got the opposite. Now you've got um, and like th- this is this is probably more so how it should be that soaps have more rights and more choice over if they're choosing to work part time and being like, nah, I don't want to work there today, or like that's that school is very um unwelcome. I don't want to work there again. So uh, there's a there's a lot um fewer workers now for for the subbing days, but basically anyway, all of those days. The department was willing to pay for a sub during the pandemic and now it's just gone back to how it was before so like um your first day of self-certified sick leave uh there's no sub sanctioned um if you're if you're doing like professional development there's no sub sanctioned if you are on wedding leave which is uh, seven days continuous so realistically two of those are going to be um on the weekend that's obviously uh a hopefully once twice in a lifetime thing uh there's no sub sanctioned so like there's a whole list of those um so, and then, you yeah, know, everything else has kind of just kept trucking on the same as it did pre-COVID. I think everybody got a bit burnt out during COVID. And like, we've, we've noticed that trade union engagement has gone down on a local level since then. People aren't coming even to the quarterly meetings anymore. I'm not surprised. I think everybody's still uh, kind of shocked, post-shock. And I think we don't even know it. Yeah, I think we're all a bit PTSD and don't know it. Kind of a last comment from me. We've we've spoken to teachers who are homeless, John, and we've spoken to teachers who are facing homelessness. But it would be very clear: teachers who said they were homeless didn't realise they were homeless because Ireland doesn't count the the, the like if you're couch surfing, you couch don't surfing, count. Yeah. If you're in with, if you're you know you're bunking in, you're cramped in somewhere, overcrowded accommodation, you don't count. But these people are actually homeless and looking for places. Sorry, Martin. I've I've heard Annika because you know my house, teacher's house, my sister, my mother, whatever. So I've heard anecdotally that the generational change in the classroom is homeless children. Is that something you yourself experience in the classroom? Yeah. 
yeah. Um, the families would be quite private about it now. You might only hear about it on a need to know basis or if the kids actually reveal something themselves. And like, I suppose I'm, I'm conscious of the families in my school. I don't want to be saying anything personal about them, but like I can think of one family who were um, this, you know, a good few years ago now, they were traveling from the city center and they'd be getting on my train every morning. And I remember the lift being broken and I would, I, you know, carry my bike up the stairs and then I'd go run back down and help the mom carry up the pram. And she was so embarrassed even for me to be seeing her because her, her, me seeing her in the city center implied that she wasn't living in the neighborhood where I teach anymore. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's kind of just another thing kind of ticking on in the background. Like, you know, you try and support them as best you can. Like we have, um, we're very lucky. We get, we get the hot school meals in school. They get a, it's a five piece lunch every day. So it includes the hot meal. And then they also get like a breakfast snack. And um, we have the school completion program in for kids who are at risk of early school leaving. Um, there's a homework club once a week and that comes through the school completion funds as well. Um, we also have this amazing program called Nurture. I'm not sure what country it originated from, but it, it's it's basically, um, uh, it, it relates to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think Rory actually would probably really enjoy doing an episode about this. Um, it's it's based on Maslow's hierarchy. So, the, you know, the general idea is that a child can't thrive in school and their behavior can't settle to how it should be unless they're feeling safe at school and unless they are securely attached to one adult in their life. Right. And then so obviously we'd have some kids in school who aren't securely attached. So they work with their nurture teacher to to form a relationship and to do kind of conflict resolution and um, nice little baking activities and stuff so that school is a really positive place for them. And like the difference that we've seen in our kids who are engaging with that program in the space of a year is unbelievable. Isn't isn't so because what we talk about a lot and I will wrap up now, but we talk a lot about sadly the adverse childhood experiences and one of those particularly is people are children are going in and out of homelessness they're they're experiencing the the problems of emergency accommodation and and and, and those those traumas but they don't necessarily have have to experience those life altering um traumas because of programs such as what you were referring to nurture that is so so you know just because we say and it's terrible to say this, just because it's, I'm not, and I'm not defending the government far from, but I'm saying if there's three and a half thousand children currently in emergency accommodation, that doesn't mean that all three and a half thousand are going to have what specific, what my, what we may define as an as an ACES impact. That's that's my understanding of it now. Speaking to psychologists, that if the correct preventative measures are taken, if the if the correct um, supports are put in place. It doesn't have to be that. And that's really encouraging. But on the negative side, Jana, can I ask, uh, you don't need to obviously go into any details. You must be aware of children who are going home to those situations every day now. Yeah, yeah. And another thing actually with the adverse childhood experiences, like there's that, that um, Scotland are, have been really tuned into this for a long time. Actually, now that I say that, I think possibly the nurture program came from Scotland. But even the age of the child when a traumatic experience happens can have an impact on how it affects them going forward. Like one one video that I watched as part of the, the course was um, you could have two siblings, one of them who is maybe four and one of them who is eight and they're going through the exact same home situation but because of the developmental age that they're at it affects both of them differently. So one of them might go on to thrive and not be negatively affected by it and then the other sibling it might really have a big effect on them but um. Yeah, no, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I can see a few kids like that I've come into um, contact with over the last 
10 years who you can you can really see that if they just weren't in the situation that they found themselves in or if they just had like one of those traumatic situations removed from their life how much easier they would find school and how much less stressful as well you know so you, you, you do bring it home with you you worry about them you know you think like where will they be in 10 years but all you can do is the best you have when you have them for the five hours a day five and a half hours a day and that is it Jana. Thank you again for coming on. Always a pleasure to talk to Jenna Lyons. And I do mean it. I will pressure him even more now that we've had you on again. I will say to him more often, Tony. Thanks again, Jenna, for coming on and having this conversation with us. Thanks, guys. Listen, folks, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. I will have already, before, but some of you hear this, I'll have already posted the conversation I had with Dr. Mohammed Rahil about what happened at his front door. Uh, and I would say to you, do go and listen to that one and also make sure that, you know, members of our wider community, our immigrant community, whether to be a doctor or, or a shelf stacker, and I don't mean to, to, to be to be talking about it in terms of that, but, you know, I hate that economic unit speech. People are equal under the law and the treatment that, that's happened to, uh, to Dr. Rahil and his family, to me, is clearly a real issue that has to be answered for. It was a clearly a forced attempt at an illegal eviction if not an assault so go go listen to his own words um he did say one thing that was actually shocking and i um i asked him uh, how was he how was his wife and how were his children and he said uh this happened at 20 past one today it's now quarter past seven tony and you're the first person to ask me how they are and he had been with the Gardaí, he had been with people who around. So, so that'll we we'll leave it there, folks. Just go listen to it. Talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.